Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Welcome to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. I'd like to welcome today to the podcast, Miranda, a longtime listener and friend who worked very hard to get where she is today. Now, telling your story is difficult. What to say, what not to say, what's enough, what's too much. Um, But I think that, that she will agree that there is power in telling your story, power for her, and empowerment for others. Much of our healing happens when we are able to share, reach back, and take the hand of someone and let them know that they are not alone. Okay, so welcome, Miranda. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Tell the listeners how you found me. This is my favorite question. So I was at the absolute roughest season of my life. I had just lost the relationship with my 16-year-old daughter, and I was trying to make sense of it, and um, it happened abruptly, and it was just a shock. So I was doing some deep diving, looking for support, and I just kind of started searching in different search terms to podcasts, and yours popped up, and at that point in my life, I was like, wow, this woman is talking about the real issues of life that we're told to stuff away and, you know, put behind closed doors. And you didn't know it at the time, but you were absolutely a lifeline to give me hope and and a direction because I had no direction. See, and what I just said in the intro was, we don't know who we're helping because I started this podcast just to start telling my story. I didn't really think people would be listening. I just knew I had to verbalize it. So I love that behind the scenes stuff, which uh, you're going to have from from doing this as well. Uh, You have a lot that goes, well, everybody's got a lot that goes with their story, right? Um, What was the deciding factor for you that you were in something uh, not only that wasn't right for you, but something that was unhealthy for you? Oh, gosh. You know, to be honest, I knew it before I even got married but I ignored all the signs. And um, there came a point where I realized that I could do it better. Like I didn't have a real partner that I could do better for myself and for my daughter um, without the relationship. Um, I had realized that I wasn't safe there anymore, that I was slowly dying inside by staying And, um, I would have to give up a a part of me. And I just thought I would have more control to give her opportunities in a life that was healthier if I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Which is, which a lot of times we can see that and we can understand that even though we do have the fear of what if I can't make it, seeing it is one thing, but then making it happen is, is something, you know, completely different. Uh, I think there's this point where like you, you, like you ask yourself, 
if I stay here, what does that look like? And if it's, if it's a losing strategy, then you're like, well, I have no idea if I can make it, but at least I'll have hope. Mm -hmm. And hope was something that I really used to, to like kind of be my guiding light throughout my whole life was where is there the most hope? Mm -hmm. Which, which it's hard to focus on hope too, when we're in it, because, because we're so regulated by fear. And um, actually tomorrow in the community, we're talking about fear and, you know, what, what I think there's a meme, this is not my saying, but we stay when the fear of leaving is greater than the fear of staying. And we leave when the fear of staying is greater than the fear of leaving. And when, when we think about all the fear and all the negativity that surrounds it, I love that you said, okay, but I have to look at it from a positive point of view, because, you know, is there hope here? Is there not hope here? I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, I just want some peace. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I'm going to find it, but the chaos and the drama was just, you know, of course, then you get out and you find peace and then you don't really know how to function in peace. So then, you know, that's uncomfortable. Um, but tell us, tell us just a little bit about, you know, what the marriage looked like and, um, and how, how was it that you were in repetitive? Now I know you are in a, you're, you're happily married now, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and she is super thankful for the relationship she has, but you had more than just one. For sure. So like it all started as a child. Um, I grew up in a family, like my husband and I now joke about it and say, it's my time behind the rock. I wasn't quite completely underneath it. Um, but we had a very dysfunctional childhood growing up. Um, my parents fought nonstop. My mother was submissive to my father. He controlled everything, decisions, money, uh, lifestyle. And and we were very isolated. Like it's, it's, it was almost cult-like. We were very isolated to just our family unit. So I didn't have parents that had friends. They had zero friends. I didn't know what it was like to be friends. I didn't know what it was like to be in, in a romantic relationship. I was taught to fear romantic relationships. And so as I grew, I kind of like kept moving from group of people to group of people to try to observe, try to figure out how relationships of all kinds worked. And within each romantic relationship, it was like I picked a version that I already knew but seemed a little bit better but I learned some lesson there. And then the next relationship, I had to learn another lesson and another lesson. And when I got together with my ex-husband, it was like, I look back on it now and I see how he saw a wounded person in me. Mm-hmm. And I often ask myself if, if abusers can see the wound in other people because they themselves are wounded and they haven't figured out how to deal with it and then be healthy with it. So instead they propagate and they perpetuate more disease and unhealthy relationships with their behaviors. And that's what I found myself in was something that um, you just said that um, something that I just, I want to kind of follow up on that. Uh, We know that the emotionally wired personality is the one that you know, the toxic personality is looking for because we're, we're the ones that are going to accommodate. But, um, I don't know that I've ever mentioned this on here. So I'm glad you did, you know, in the beginning, if, if they can target somebody who's very vulnerable, it is much easier for them to gain our trust. 
for and, sure. And for them to get us to invest. So, so I'm glad that you said that because 100% they're going to look for the wounded so they can swoop in like the, like the savior. Oh, 100%. Like even, even our initial, like real conversations, um, you know, it was when I was at low points when things had maybe bothered me at work or I had like a disruption with a friend or something, then they're that person that's there, like falsely empowering you and telling you like, oh, you don't need them or you could just quit. And you're like, wow, they've got my back mm -hmm. when that's not having your back. You know, that's actually just a form of isolating you. But I didn't yeah. know that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's making us believe they're trustworthy, which mm -hmm. of course, then we find out soon enough that they're not. Um, so you mentioned earlier about, you know, the ending of your relationship with your 16 year old, what, yeah. what, um, what were the stepping stones that led to that? You know, it, it really, it blindsided me at the time, uh, looking back after doing a lot of therapy about it, I can definitely see some of the moments, like those milestones leading into it, the behavior changes, but we had had, gosh, almost a decade and a half of just strife. Cause she was two when I divorced her father and there was, oh, she was, she was two. Yeah. So, and I didn't meet you until she was 16. Yeah. So she was two and, you know, I thought like somehow I had this delusional thought that like by not being in the same house that I could somehow soothe the friction and say like, we can still be a team. And what I didn't realize was if they weren't a team when you were in the same house and married, they're not going to be a team with you later on. Yep. <laughs> like that's just not a thing. So um, I think part of that is once we, we make the decision to leave and we get out, it feels so much better to us than what, than where it was that, that it seems super harsh to completely cut them off. So we think, Oh, well, at least this feels better. And yeah. pretty soon you realize it's, it's not necessarily any better. Right. No, no. It went from a restraining order uh, to like protect myself to I got into therapy. I started doing self-growth workshops and I was on that kind of that high of anything is possible. And, you know, I can forgive and I, I can build this stronger relationship. It's going to look different. Um, and somehow I think I thought I was enough to carry the weight of both of us. I never realized he was never on that team. Like I literally did not. I thought, I thought we had the same goal, the same agenda, which was to raise a healthy, happy, functioning contribution to society. I thought if I could just show him that I wasn't trying to take her, that we both could have her equally, that, you know, she could have, there's so much love in the world. She could have 12 grandparents. It wouldn't matter. Like right. your heart just keeps growing. But what I didn't realize was I was growing and he wasn't. Right. And so over the years, nine court battles later, um, constant, constant back and forth, constant stress, constant drama. Like if my household said the sky was blue, he said it was red. And he said it was such conviction that even if people knew it wasn't red, um, they'd be like, well, I can totally see how he sees it's red. It's a shame she just can't let him have that. And I started watching, like, my daughter start to pull away. Um, we had her in therapy. There was definitely some mental health stuff, rightfully so. 
you can't be raised with that type of stripe without it. So here I am pouring everything into her, um, thinking that I'm doing the best that I can by her. And somewhere along the way, between the parental alienation, empowerment coming from their household and just being a 16 year old and wh wherever it was that I wasn't perfect because none of us are, um, our relationship twisted in the matter of minutes. It felt like it turned out looking back on it, it was probably over the course of about a year and a half that I can really see it, but it all came to a head one day and I put my foot down about it it got ugly and she left my house for good and it broke me. Yep. It, it absolutely broke something inside of me. Yep. Yep. I think, I think too, you know, in my experience, cause you know, I didn't have my kids for a really long time either. And what I found myself doing is um, reacting to my kids the same way I had reacted to my former, because we don't want conflict with him. We want to take the high road. We have this, this kind of, even though we don't want to admit competitive thing, you know, we are, we're worried that if they're mad, they're going to run to our former and that's going to make us look bad. And so we start catering to them exactly how we cater to the former and we bend our rules and we accept things we wouldn't accept. And then pretty soon we've fallen right back into what the toxic personality trained us to do. And we're not being a parent. We're now allowing the kids to treat us the same way. And, and part of that I see now was was me just continuing on with the behavior that I had learned. Yeah. Um, the thing that that breaks my heart when you talk about that is is you said it broke me. Um, yeah. I 100% know what you're talking about. It is literally the worst feeling when all of a sudden you're a mom with with no kids. Um, in the end, everyone was always telling me, you know, just be the stable one. Just let them know that you love them and you'll be there for them and they'll come back. And, you know, four and a half years, I didn't believe that, but I continued to do that. And, and they did. And I believe that, that your relationship with her is reestablished. No, not at all. It, it did. Um, it did when she, so when she was getting ready to graduate high school, like when she left, she didn't just leave. Like, I mean, there was full cutoff, like they changed her phone number, like disinvited me to everything. Like I stayed behind the scenes. I, I spoke with her therapist after every appointment, never wanting to know what was happening more than, is she healthy? Has her weight changed? Have they changed any medication? You know, when something would happen at school, the school called me. They didn't even know what was going on. And there I'm having conversations with the principal and the dean and everybody else. And everybody's telling me like, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And, you know, I honestly can only say that I did what I knew to do at the time. Um, but now it's truly up to her. So when she was getting ready to graduate high school, all of a sudden she kind of came back into my world started to reestablish a relationship, um, wanted help with college, wanted to know if I had her college fund. My husband and I helped her go away to school, uh, moved her over there. When she got sick while she was there, we went and got her and took care of all of the things. And then right about when her schooling was coming to an end, 
we started to see the behavior shift again. And then there was a breaking point in which something like I saw something, she said something and it was like a domino happened. And all I saw was like multiple lies that I had ignored. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I can't unsee this. And I was angry. I was so angry because I felt like, how did I fall for it? Uh, don't I deserve better? Um, why aren't I enough? Um, and somewhere in that, you just kind of like think, you know, no, I took it for years for you. I'm not going to take it from you. Yep. And so I put a real hard boundary out and, and bear in mind, I had been doing therapy. Obviously I had worked with you had done uh, some of your uh, programs, your coursework. We had done priority me. I was working independently with a domestic violence therapist locally. So and it was not my first time in therapy. So it was like, I was doing deep work. And so I was starting to get some empowerment and I put that boundary out. But as soon as I did the anger, the like volatility, the, the like vicious words that came flying out of her mouth, I was just like, okay, you know what? When you're ready to have a different conversation, let me know. And I have not heard from her since. And that kills me. Like there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about her. There isn't a week that goes by that I don't think, should I call her now? What should I do? But what I've come to the conclusion at this stage is I have to continue to do the work on me. And to take care of yourself. Yes. But also to learn about, she's too young for a diagnosable disorder, Mm -hmm. but like, to learn about the traits that she's exhibiting, to learn about the traits that I was exhibiting. Cause what you had said earlier is true. You do start treating them kind of like the ex because, you know, especially every time you go like every other year you're in the court and you're defending your position and they're saying that they want her more time and you're just thinking, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose. How yeah. can I hold on to it? And it never had to be that way. I never thought it had to be that way, but you get stuck in the cyclone. And through all of that, I just decided I have to step back, take care of me, do the work on myself. So that should I get the opportunity to have that conversation with her in the future, I'm ready. I'm ready to be honest. I'm ready to say, I'm sorry. Even if I never get an apology, I want one, but I have things to apologize for. I know I do. Of course I do. We all have. I remember the day my mom and I talked and she told me things that she was like carrying. And I was like, what? That doesn't bother me a bit. She's like, really? What did bother you? I was like that. She's like, really? So we always see things from different vantage points. And I know that we need to get there, but it truly is up to her at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have been through this, you know, very similar. I remember um, now I will tell you, uh, anybody who's got teenagers, teenagers do turn into little toxic people for a while, regardless, because they're self-centered. They always want a reaction. They're always right. You know, they're pushing their boundaries. They're finding their independence. So we understand that, that little teenage toxicity and, and usually they grow out of it. Uh, well, when I started seeing the traits like you're seeing in your daughter, it broke my heart because I kept thinking, oh my gosh, now, now, you know, 
there's things that I'm seeing in her that were ham and, and then the anger comes out. And I think I've talked about this on my podcast before, but I called my dad and I was so like, just so upset. And um, of course, dad is dad. And he said, well, well, you have to remember she is half him. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to accept the fact that she's half him and she was raised in that environment. So you can't expect her not to, you know, show some of those traits. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause really what I heard was my dad saying, well, you slept with him, but he wasn't saying that, but he was saying, you have to remember she's half him. Yeah. And then, then he said too, moving forward, she's going to go through stages. We don't know what those stages are. We don't know, you know, if the relationship will heal or not. But in the meantime, you're still the mom and you are never going to have inner peace with the way it is until you accept her for who she is, not who you want her to be. Yeah. And that is the most impactful quote. And so, so what you're saying right now about, okay, but I have to take care of myself first. That was our biggest, that was our number one mistake in the beginning is we weren't taking care of ourselves, And, and that is our job. And even though we're the mom and it, and it, and it breaks our heart. Accepting them for who they are is the only thing that will give us peace. Um, Spoiler alert, uh, my husband finally agreed to be on my podcast and and we did four hours of recording and um, it's going to air in June, but he talks about the struggles that he went through you know, being my boyfriend, being my husband, watching my girls come in and out of my life about, about the time, you know, they'd show up and you're so excited. And about that time, another stab in the back. And, and you um, are one of the people that knows how just absolutely empty you feel when, when that happens. And so, uh, because I didn't know all of your story, this, this is, is getting me kind of anxious. It makes me, it makes me feel bad for you because even though I went through it, I hate that that you have felt this way. Now I know that you yourself are doing well mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things we can't change. Um, tell me because you've been doing so much work, tell me about um, how being in these toxic places has, has made you a different person. So, it, oh my got that question initially, I was like, whew, so many ways. And, and one of the thing, one of the parts to it, you had said something like, um, would you say you're better for it or something? And I was like, absolutely not. I am not better for it, but I am better for the work that I'm doing because of it. Mm-hmm. But I take credit for that. I don't give the credit to the toxic relationship. So the the ways that I'm different, like, man, when I was a child, I remember the way that my family described me as a child was like, I was, I really truly walked into a room like, I am here, I'm ready to get this party started. And when you're in a lifetime of having to doubt and jump through hoops and trying to appease everyone, you start to question yourself in ways that when you we're naturally a confident human being, you lose some of that Mm -hmm. and you have to fight to get it back. And some of the ways that I think work to do that is to think about not so much, how how can I be responsible for everyone everywhere at all times, but instead what kind of impact can I make today? 
in this moment. It becomes a day by day. It becomes, um, it becomes, you have to look at life without, my mother used to say I had rose colored glasses and she feared the day that somebody sat on them. <laughs> and uh, my daughter was the one that really sat on them. Oh, she yeah. just, you know, and, and so after that, I had to start looking at things through a much clearer lens, taking away the fantasy of what I dreamed about it would be, of what I wished it would be, about what I was sure if I did enough work, it could be. Right. And I had to start looking at things and people, events with a lot more clarity, which meant I had to look at the the the, the ugly side of it, the not so pretty side of it, the harsher side of it. So the pendulum had to swing for me. I had to swing back over there and look at that. And then I had to start working on bringing them together and melding them and accepting that life is all of it. You know, a complete yep. life comes with the negative and the positive. And for the longest time, my coping mechanism, my, mo my motive of operation was think about the positive, think yeah, about the positive. the positive. Yes. Keep yourself distracted. Stay in the positive. Exactly. Right. And, and man, anybody who was around me in my early twenties, they must've thought like, I just want to be around her. She's infectious and nothing gets to her. What right. they didn't know was everything got to me. I just didn't let them see it. Right. So now it's, there's a whole lot more honesty with myself, mm -hmm. which requires me to be honest with others it requires me to vocalize, no, I'm not okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, with, and with, with the possibility that people aren't going to like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be okay with if they don't like it. Right. Yeah. I'd heard a quote years ago that was like something like to have the relationship of your dreams, you have to first be willing to blow it up. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that you have to be willing to have the hard conversations and you know, I, I know some of your story with your husband and how you guys have had to do the walk and my husband's had to do it too, man. He had to put a blanket over me one morning because I had spent the whole night trying to drown my sorrows and unsuccessfully just had a complete, during my biggest break was like self-deprecation of I'm an, I'm an epic failure on every level. And the next morning he said, I don't, I'm not worried about, you know, anything except for one thing. I don't ever want to hear you say those things about yourself again. So, you know, like I get it, I get it what it's like. And, and I'm grateful that I have a partner that has like walked this walk with me but I know it hasn't been easy for him either. And it's hard to stand in your, your space of saying, I'm going to do this for me right now. When you're like, Oh, I know this is affecting him too. He had a relationship with her too. Yeah. I think we, you know, my husband and I have had to have difficult convert. I call them difficult conversations because we're not, we're, we're not fighters. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you just said you have to be willing to have them. And and I have had to peel a couple layers off yet this year, because what I realized is I'm always very open to talk about when things are going good or when I'm excited or when I'm, and I will talk about that with anybody, but with, with the people that are closest to you, you should also feel like you can talk about the, the true feelings, the things that the unhappy emotions, 
Yeah. You know, somewhere along the line, we were led to believe that un- negative emotions are bad. Mm-hmm. And no, they're just and, skill sets. Yes. They're just they're Yeah, you're right. We, we want the pendulum, like you said, to stay over here all the time. And that's just, it's not feasible. And, um, you know, wanting him to understand it has always been my biggest desire. And that was one of the things in the last year, he's never going to understand it. Yeah. But he has done enough and watched enough. He now knows how to support it, even though he doesn't understand it. And um, he had the same conversation with me. He he will help me through stuff, but the words that come out of my mouth may not be mean towards myself. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, when they say that, we don't even realize that we're saying it or thinking it. But when you say that he had to cover you with a blanket and you said self-deprecating, I have had two of those in the last six months. And you literally, you literally want to disappear. I, in fact, I've, I've got a podcast ready to record on, you know, we, we all talk about triggers, 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 but what you're talking about the being under the blanket and just, that is something completely different than a trigger. It is a self-loathing. I'm hurting the people I love. Mm-hmm. I, I am a failure. I am worthless. Why am I even still attempting to heal? Right. And, and it's very upsetting when, when you fall and you still have to go through those. It makes me so mad, but I've accepted too, that this might not go away. So it's, it's been a year of us putting in place the things that, that we need to do. So I don't have to live under the pressure of, I hope this doesn't happen again. Now there's things in place that, okay, if it happens again, it's part of me. And this is what we do because for years I've been, you know, living under that pressure of, I don't want him to, I don't want him to know that I still fight with this. And I don't want him to, to see when, you know, and so, so we've really been working on that. And it sounds like you and your, your husband do the same thing. Um, I, I have another question for you because this is something you did that I, to this day have not been able to do. Um, and the only reason I know this is because she sent me some of her sample answers just, um, prior but I, I asked the question on, on how did you take care of yourself while you were going through the healing? And she said she got quiet. Okay. Dr. Heidi never gets quiet. Dr. Heidi gets louder and she gets busier and she fills up more stuff with more stuff and more stuff. And that was another thing I figured out this year. I just distract myself. And so tell us about how, because, because I have met you, mm-hmm. you know, um, we met in person, you, you attended that retreat and to me, you're not quiet either. Mm-mm. Right. So yeah. how did, how did you, with your personality go, okay, I have to quiet myself. Honestly, I, I call it divine intervention. Um, the day my daughter left, I crossed the threshold of my home after following her to her dad's house to make sure that she got the 1.1 mile to his house. And I won't go into all the details, but needless to say, I wound up on my knees and there was like this feeling of just being wrapped in, in arms and this, almost this like knowledge Mm -hmm. that I had to carry this burden. This was something I was being asked to do. And so as the days went on, I just got really still because I figured if that in, in the moment of the greatest crack of my life, if that was the message that was coming through, what else had been trying to come through? What else did I need it to come through? And I knew I couldn't carry it on my own. 
So one of the first things that I had to do was accept that, <laughs> try to say this without crying, um, to accept that I wasn't enough on my own to carry this and that I needed something bigger than me to hold me through it. And so I just got really still in the sense that, you know, I would just sit and just be quiet. And then I would go for a walk or go for a bike ride and be quiet. I would journal and be quiet. And you're right, I am not a quiet person. You know, I'm with people all day long. I lead people, I am constantly talking. Um, and in the moments that I needed to be that person, I was that person. And when I didn't need to be that person, I was quiet. And I was very intentional about it in giving myself over to the process. You have and to give yourself permission to, to not have to be busy, you know, because, because me, and I am, I'm sure it's from everything that happened, feel like I have to be productive all the time. Yeah. And, and I had a day last week. This is the first time in my life I've ever done this. I had some of that anxious feeling in the morning and it was a Tuesday. So I do a lot of my recordings on Tuesday. So I didn't have to cancel any clients. And I thought it was 1030 in the morning and I could feel that I was having a, a higher anxiety mm -hmm. type day. And I knew that if I stayed in my office and tried to concentrate, I was just going to get frustrated because I wouldn't be being as productive as I wanted. So for the first time in my life, I shut my computer, I shut my lights off and I closed my office door and I just didn't work on Tuesday. Yeah. And, and looking back, I can't believe I did it because that was the first time I was just like, oh, so that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. I, that was the first time I gave myself permission to just do nothing that day. Yeah. There came this point where I was honestly like everything that I had worked for up until that moment was for my daughter, was for us, was, was for this, this fantasy that I had created that we would have one day of this healthy relationship and this, like all of the milestones that I would be there to support her in. And all of it had been stripped away from me. And so there was this moment of, well, what, what am I doing this for? Right. So I didn't have anything. I didn't have a why anymore. So, and I knew that I still had a business. I still had a relationship in my home life. I still had responsibilities. And I was like, I can't do it all the way that I've been doing it. Mm -hmm. So something had to change. So that's, that's where I just gave myself over to the process. Now in that quiet, I did a lot of what I've now learned was intellectualizing. And it, at some point I realized I hadn't, I had cried, but not, not from the core of who I was. All of the things that came up, they were more like what I call geysering, where it just pops off because there's so much pressure built up. But I needed to find the core of the pain, which was honestly my childhood, right? Because it like, it spirals and rolls right. into everything. And so... I had to dig deeper there. And when I started digging deeper there, then I started realizing how dysfunctional my inner family system was and all those skill sets that you're talking about, your, your positive emotions and your negative emotions. 
and how I had stopped trusting to let them unfold. And I had tried to push some away and tried to pull some forward as protective measures. Didn't give some a day off for my entire life. And some I had put on like, you know, I gave them a pink slip long ago. And I had to start doing some work to start letting them out when they're appropriate, letting them have their space and start recognizing that together they all make up me. And um, so, so I didn't realize this. I wish we would have talked earlier in this year because, because we've been going through a lot of the, you know, the same thing. Um, I found it very much a relief to me when I started digging back and really doing that because, you know, for so many years, you're like, what's wrong with me? How come I can't fix this? How come I can't handle this? And when I was able to start uncovering that, like you said, and giving them the appropriate feelings and the appropriate spaces that we had pretended Mm -hmm. didn't exist. It was such a relief because it almost made me feel like, oh, you mean I don't, I don't have to fix this because it was me for years trying to figure out why I acted the way I did, why I responded the way I did, why I felt the way I did. And when you start uncovering this, you're like, well, that makes so much sense. And it it was so calming and relieving to me to finally get down to the bottom of some of that. For sure. Because like when you're under that much pressure all the time, you're like, you're like a live wire. And I don't know if you have ever brushed up against something that has electrical charge in it. You get shocked. And so when you are constantly under that type of pressure, you're like a live wire and something so benign can be said or done and you'll like have a volatile explosive reaction and then you feel horrible about it because you're like, that doesn't represent me. Right. Why or why did I let them take it over my control of myself by making me explosive? <laughs> like. I should have never reacted that way because I know better and I don't have to deal with that. I should have just turned around and walked away. But, but at the same time, then, then we feel bad that it happened. So mm-hmm. we fall back into the shame and of, guilt. Yeah, and- let's, okay. Let's never let that happen again. Let's just, let's pretend we don't. And so you kind of go back into that. Okay. We can't let that happen again. No, you try to become a perfect, a perfectionist in every way. You try to circumvent every single thing coming your way. You try to always be on guard, like waiting for the next shoe to drop from anywhere in the sky that has nothing to do with you. And it's what you, like you said, it is, it's way too much pressure. You've already been living under that type of pressure. And then we transfer it straight to, we're holding us to the same accountability. Because, right. We become our own abuser, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's because we, we feel bad for reacting yeah. because of the training that we have. Right. And um, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's funny that, that, you know, this has been a lot of of the stuff that's been working out in my life the last couple of years as well. So, so not surprising. What? Oh, and, and too, that every time something comes up, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, now I got to go through this again. But I always, I always trust the process because inevitably when I need to go through something, there is a client somewhere down in my future that if I didn't go through this, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the best coach for them. And so I always really try to embrace it some days better than others. But um, there is a reason when, when we start peeling that crap away, but the relief for me was overwhelming. It just, it brought so much peace that, okay, now I'm understanding where this all is coming from because, you know, I, I thought it was my former husband. Yeah. And when I started digging, this was this thought process and the way I, you know, interacted with people started a long time before that. So if you could tell the listeners that are still 
that are still trapped because we have a lot of people listening that are just wanting validation on is my relationship unhealthy for me or is it not? What what is something that you would tell the listeners? Because you question yourself in many relationships. Yeah. So so there was a habitual question that would come up for me. And it was, I like, oh, I just wish I could talk to their former because if if I could and I could confirm that this is really who they are, then it's time for me to leave. First off, like I have to say, if that's ever a question for you, no, it's not the relationship for you. Right. Because you should never question at that level. And if you're questioning, trust yourself. You don't need their opinion. Right. Um, like don't muddy your water with their story. And and it just perpetuates the unrest and the right. chaos. So um like there, there's just so many things. Um, I would say knowing, dig deep into what you want your life to look like and ask yourself, is that the relationship that is going to support you in having that reality? If not, we're not talking about looking like the grass is greener on the other side. If not, then ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. Bring them to the conversation. If they're unwilling to join the conversation, you have your answer. Yeah. I think too, you know, when we say, well, what do you want your life to look like? And in fact, the priority me retreat was kind of focused around this. A lot of us don't know because nobody's asked us for so long. And what we want in our life has not been, you know, top priority. So if you're one that when, when she says, ask yourself what you want your life to look like, and you have no idea, then ask yourself this. If the relationship does not change, if everything stays exactly as it is today, because you can't control their behavior, you can't control if they're going to change or not. So if, if the relationship stays exactly as it is today, nothing changes. Is this the relationship you want to be in for the rest of your life? So I've got a question that my father had asked me the day that I went to my parents and sat at their kitchen table, just crying. Like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can pay my rent, you know, all the things like, can I actually sustain on my own with a, with a child? And my father said, baby, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And so he goes, what don't you want? Mm-hmm. And man, it was like word vomit. I could list off probably 50 things of what I knew I didn't want. Yep. So sometimes if you get stuck on a question, sometimes it's go to the polar opposite and see if you can look at it from a different angle. Because if we're, we're, if we're coming up against resistance, try to sneak up behind the, the question and yep. ask it from there. Yep. And two, you know, we know that we don't have a ton of control over what comes into our life. If we did, I've said this before, we'd all have the winning lottery ticket, right? But what you don't realize is what she's saying. We have a ton of control over what we take out of our life. So if you if you are in a spot where you can't even answer what makes you happy or what you want more of in your life, that's okay. Because make a list of the things you don't want and then ask yourself what you've been focusing on. You've been focusing on the list of things you don't want, which we know what we focus on is what we attract. Yeah. Um, Now, again, it's easy for us to say, well, think of what you want. Um, That's kind of a process too in healing. You know, nobody's asked you, you know, 
where, what do you want to do if you have a day off? I don't know. Well, who would you hang out with? Well, I don't know. Well, where do you want to eat? Well, I don't know. And, and the decision-making process can be fun. Uh, but, but the asking yourself what you don't want is probably a good start for a lot of the listeners. So that, that was perfect. Um, Maren, thank you for, thank you so much for being here. I learned, I actually learned a lot about you, um, doing this. Because, you know, you were at the retreat, there was 25 other people at the retreat. So for me to be able to just really talk about stuff like this, we've never really done. Why? I don't know. It's not like we don't have like technology, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I know that there was, there was, there's a lot more to your story. And I wanted to focus on the daughter thing because, because I know there's listeners that are struggling with the kid thing, but I also wanted to focus on how, how you healed because everybody does it different. Mm-hmm. And. I am, I'm going to go sit in my closet for five minutes today and I'm going to be quiet. I promise. I'll text you how it goes. Okay. But, but uh, thank you for being here. And um, I'm sure people, you know, people like to ask questions to my, my guests. So I will forward any of those to you and I appreciate your strength. And I appreciate the fact that you um, felt ready to share because I cannot it. I think it's a big deal and and it will get easier from it will get easier from here. Thank you.